Hey, everybody. Welcome to Incorruptible Massachusetts. Our mission here is to help you understand state politics. So we talk about why it's so broken, what we could have here in Massachusetts and in our lives if we fix it, and how you can get involved. Today, we are talking about home rule petitions. And basically, what we're talking about is the fact that our duly elected city councilors cannot pass a lot of legislation in our cities. They're prevented from doing that by our state. And they're forced to send it to the state legislature uh, who will then vote on whether that city can actually do the thing that the people in the city want. So um, let's go ahead and we'll have some introductions. Um, I'm gonna go to our two uh, superly amazing co-hosts, uh, Jordan Berg Powers and Jonathan Cohn. Jordan, do you wanna go first? My name's Jordan Berg Powers. I use he, him, and I have several years experience in uh, progressive political politics in Massachusetts. Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan Cohn, he, him, his, uh, an activist based out of Boston with a number of progressive and issue and electoral campaigns here. Happy to be here. I'm Anna Callahan coming at you from uh, Medford, she, her, and, uh, and we have an amazing special guest here, Ben Ewenkampen, city councilor, Somerville city councilor, Ben Ewenkampen. You want to introduce yourself? Yes, uh, I'm Ben Ewenkampen. I use he, him, his. Um, I am a city councilor in Somerville. I represent Ward 3, which if any of you know Somerville, this is Union Square and uh, Prospect Hill, Spring Hill, and it's an honor to be here. Fantastic. So um, first of all, we are going to just get a little bit of an overview about what home rule petitions are and why we have them. Who's going to jump in? Okay, like I, can, I can be quick uh, and, and tell me if I'm going too long. So basically, one thing that anybody who's been trying to make change realizes is that some things have to happen on a local level, some things on a state level, some things on the national level, and it can often be confusing on what level you have to operate, right? And in Massachusetts, that, that becomes especially the case as many of the changes that you might want to make on the local level require state approval first, which is in that kind of, that request for state approval is called a home rule petition. And these date, this structure dates back to the 1960s, when prior to that, the kind of Massachusetts Constitution recognized the state as supreme, municipalities really like did not exist without any, like, without kind of, without like kind of granting a power of the state, yada, yada. And the state had to deal with like a bunch of minutia from municipalities that had very little actual kind of endowed power in that context. An amendment to the constitution in the 1960s gave municipalities some greater power, but with large carve outs that cover a lot of area that we associate with lawmaking um, in particular. So what those were, those carve outs to what municipalities still could not do on their own were regulating elections other than specific things laid out, levying, assessing and collecting taxes, borrowing money or pledging the credit of the city or town, disposing of parkland, enacting private or civil law governing civil relationships, except as an incident to an exercise of an independent municipal power, and defining and providing for the punishment of a felony or imposing impri like imprisonment as a punishment for any violation of the law. Uh, can I stop you for a second? Let me jump yeah. in for one second. I'm gonna break it down a little bit. Um, that, was a, that was a mouthful. 
Yeah. And, and, and if we compare a little bit to other states, like I moved here, um, I lived in California for a couple of years. And while I was there, you know, there were cities passing rent control, there were cities passing, you know, laws about like minimum wage laws, laws about workers, you know. So other states and plenty of other states, cities can pass laws that relate to um, landlords and tenants employers and workers, but in Massachusetts, cities cannot pass those laws. I just want to make that clear before we go on um, and then pass it back to you, Jonathan. Yes, exactly. And that, that's a great point is one of the most broad parts of that is just this idea of civil relationships that the municipalities can't pass law governing. The landlord-tenant relationship is a civil relationship. The employer-employee is a civil relationship. So, and so depending on how one chooses to stretch that kind of that carve out in its application, so many of the things that we think of when we think of passing laws would, would run right up against that barrier. And the same thing when it comes to taxing authority. We also think of, when we think of policymaking, we think of the passing of things and the funding of those things. And that barrier is also something that that will always end up hitting. Yeah. So, so here I got to jump in with a little bit of opinionating, which is that, you know, we, I am completely in favor of states protecting the powerless against the powerful, right? Our states need to make sure that they protect the rights of people to get equal education, the rights of people to, you know, not be oppressed, all those things. And cities should not be able to pass laws that remove those rights. But <laughs> we're talking about the state literally having a law in place saying that the, the cities cannot protect the powerless. That, 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 state, that our state has, in, and a law in, has a constitutional law in place saying that we must protect the powerful from democracy. Yep. It hurts. <laughs> Having been in a state where you can pass things like rent control or whatever at the city level is painful. It's painful. And, and I think it's painful. And I, I want to pass this over to Ben because I think part of what's painful is people get elected to city politics. And if they're not in an in incredibly strong and progressive city council like Somerville, they, they end up feeling like, what, I can't do anything. My hands are tied. My, my time here is useless. Um, so before I pass it to Ben, let me quickly just mention a few of the policies um, that Somerville has passed home rule petitions for, has handed them to the state. Um, and so one is a right to purchase, which means that um, when a property is being sold, the tenants have the first opportunity to purchase that property. Um, a real estate transfer fee, so that when property is being sold, um, especially if it's being sold to folks who are going to uh, be a landlord, that there is a tiny, tiny little fee that's assessed that can go toward affordable housing ideas. Um, and here's one of my favorites, the retirement board to divest from fossil fuel companies. So I want people to understand that the state of Massachusetts prevents our cities from divesting from fossil fuels. It is not allowed without the permission, without a vote of the state house. It is completely absurd. Okay, Ben, there, that's my diatribe. <laughs> I'm passing it off to you. And we would love to hear how this has affected Somerville. I think that doesn't even count as a diatribe. That was a clear-eyed <laughs> statement of facts. <laughs> I, I think I just want to start by um, emphasizing one of the points that you just made, which is 
we don't need to pretend that every city and town in Massachusetts should be able to pass every single law they want. You, you can imagine all types of exclusionary laws that could be passed if we threw open the floodgates. Um, I, I think almost everything that we're going to be talking about today is really just about um, protecting working families, uh, protecting tenants from abuse by landlords, stabilizing neighborhoods, making our communities more affordable and diverse and making our democracy more transparent and accessible. And these are the types of things that as a city councilor, it's often just incredibly frustrating to try to explain to the public why we can't make common sense improvements in their lives. And I'll just say by way of background, so I was elected in 2017, I was one of several new candidates, and all of us ran on issues focusing on housing affordability. And we ran, you know, very clearly, this was a platform that was widely embraced um, across the city, several new city councilors running on issues specifically around affordable housing were elected, and we felt a very strong mandate that this was clearly where our community wanted us to be focusing our energy. And um, while we have passed a lot at the local level that is within our authority, um, the, the really big policies that would make kind of transformative improvements in people's lives, all of them require state approval. And without getting too deep into the weeds on this, um, I, I always kind of like to put this in terms of what we what we wish our housing market looked like, as opposed to what 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 it uh, currently looks like. So um, I'll give you an example. I, I have um, there's a building in my neighborhood where there's a, a number of uh, elderly residents who've lived there for a long time as tenants, and they had a kind of benevolent landlord for many decades who kept the rent below market. Now, if that building goes up for sale, the person who's going to buy it is going to pay 2021 prices and they're gonna have a huge mortgage and they're gonna immediately try to literally double or triple the rent. And they're going to find new tenants who can pay those new rents. And the, the tenants who have been there forever are going to leave Somerville. That's how it currently works. You can imagine uh, what, the way that we would like it to work is that those tenants are having an opportunity to work together to buy the house themselves, or if they don't have the finances, which is very often the case, they could partner with a city or a local nonprofit to buy that entire building, keep the tenants that want to stay, and make that permanently affordable. And in order for the city to have the money to do that, we want to have a fund uh, that is paid for by a very small tax on developers and speculators that would be generating tens of millions of dollars a year in our current market that would make those sales possible. And if we were to be able to do that, these tenants would be able to stay in the neighborhood. We'd have much more kind of sustainable long-term uh, neighborhoods, and we would have more permanently affordable housing. Currently, every single step of that process is illegal under Massachusetts state law. So we've passed a series of home rule petitions, uh, what we call the real estate transfer fee. As you said, it's a, it's a small tax on non-owner occupants buying and selling property in Somerville. We have the tenant's right to purchase, which would allow tenants to get the first bite at the apple to buy the building they live in when it goes up for sale. And another policy that, that I don't think we actively have a home rule petition on, but Somerville is unanimously in support of is rent control, um, which is that that's the big one, right? Kind of everything else that we do is whittling around the edges. It should not be legal to double or triple the rent on low income senior citizens or anyone else for that matter. Exactly. Um, and and all of these are currently blocked. Apologize for, for interrupting, but I just got to jump in for one second. People who are listening may not realize that Somerville is two thirds renters. 
two thirds renters. So we're not talking about like just college kids. Like we're talking about people who they may have spent their whole lives here and they're still renting. Yeah. I just want to say also, because rent control sounds, when he, people hear rent control, what they hear is you, the price is set and it can't go up. That's how the media talks about it. That's how it always gets things. It says simply that you can't raise rent more than double inflation. That's it. Not even inflation. Like the things that we're pushing, is like double inflation, right? So, you know, currently some of the rents are getting 25, 30% year to year out of control without any improvements any sort of like changes, right? There's you, if, and if you do those things, if you, let's say you are like, you know, I really want to make this place nice. You're then get to raise rent, right? Like it's not even that. It's just, if you don't do anything, you can't just increase costs. You can't just do whatever. Um, and so I think it's important because I, I always want to say what it is because I think people get really freaked out and it's actually really simple. <laughs> it's a really simple policy um, to keep people sort of in, in things. Some other things too, that I'm sure Somerville would love to pass that, you know, doesn't, are just things like, um, you know, some things that other cities across the world have passed to try to keep control of the flows of money, because a lot of the flow of money, especially in the Boston, less so Somerville is just out. It's like out of it's, sovereign wealth. It's people who are trying to hide money from their dictatorial governments and they have unlimited amounts of it and they don't care what happens. So some things that you can do are require that people live in the homes, like that you have residents and you tax them if they don't, if they're just trying to park money. That's a way, again, to keep some control because you want to have people live in the places that they have. You can't currently pass that tax, right, without a home rule petition. So there's just a, a little, lot of things. A little story about that. When so we yeah. were recently looking to move and we looked at a place. Um, and when we, as we were looking at this apartment, the, the you know, realtor guy says, oh, you're going to love the landlord. She, you know, lives in Connecticut. She owns like 25 properties here in Somerville. Um, and, uh, you know, that's her, that's her goal is just buy a ton of properties in Somerville. And in my mind, I was like, I don't think I'm going to love this person, <laughs> but, but this is what's happening is like people, we have no idea and no way to know who owns our properties. And so, you know, I would, Ben, I want you to talk about this more be, and, and why part of why we're highlighting Somerville is Somerville is one of these unique places where, um, first of all, as two thirds renter, like all of these policies are clearly what your constituents need. No question, pro renter policies because we're two thirds renter. But Somerville is also a place and I have to shout out our revolution Somerville because they were involved in the 2017 elections, the 2019 elections, these elections, they've been doing a great job electing fantastic progressives like yourself. And because of that, Somerville is in a unique position that it in fact can, can create, can vote for all these home rule petitions and can send them to the state. So Somerville has really been at the forefront of passing home rule petitions and sending them to the state and having them rejected. And I would love to hear your thoughts about what, what is causing these requests from your constituents, clearly policy that your constituents need from not being approved by the state. Well, I think one thing I want to emphasize, I am very proud of the work we're doing in Somerville, and I do think that we are leading on a number of policies, but a lot of what we're doing is not actually unique to Somerville. And to take one example, the real estate transfer fee, there is a broad coalition of cities and towns that are passing these things because the the housing crisis is not just in Somerville. It's not just in Boston. One of the leaders of this coalition is Nantucket, the island of Nantucket. 
And just to, to be clear here, the situation in their housing market, it's a little bit different from Somerville, but it, it's the same at the core. It's basically there is no place for the workers on the island to live. Period. <laughs> there is not enough physical structures. <laughs> you know, the city, the, the, the town of Nantucket wants to hire people to work for the city. They don't have places for them to live because the average home price, uh, you know, is astronomical. And, and it, there is not some secret stash of buildings for working class people to live in. And what's really remarkable talking to our colleagues in Nant- Nantucket, um, it's universally supported. They're, they're the, the people who are lead the charge for the real estate transfer fee in Nantucket are real estate brokers themselves. Wow. The tax that they are proposing, I mean, as of a, la- a few years ago, it was 0.5% tax on uh, properties over $2 million and only on the value above $2 million. So if you sell a $2 million house, there's zero tax. It's just a dollar over that gets that. taxed. That would be terrible. You, it is, it's, it's, it's really, really hard to understand how something like that couldn't pass. Yeah. Did you just lose me for a sec? Sorry. You're back. Um, it, and I think, you know, I, I, I don't pretend to understand the, the inner workings of the state house, but I think when it comes to the real estate lobby, the only way that I can interpret it is that it's like the NRA or something. You're not having a good faith discussion about the merits of the policy. There's a, we don't give an inch. You will not do anything that cuts into real estate profits. And so uh, what we are trying to do is, is participate in a statewide coalition that is, uh, that is not just Somerville, but is, is really broad based in communities across the state to give cities and towns the power to create their own real estate transfer fees to address their own affordable housing crises, because they are a little bit different in different communities. I feel like your point actually really hits the nail on the head in terms of which things end up passing and which ones don't in home rule, because something that's like very narrow. Second, if I'm a legislator and I don't like the idea of something like the real estate industry taking a hit, I see something passing in Nantucket, meaning that it's going to go, that's going to start spreading to a number of other municipalities. And I, as the kind of legislator supporter, or I, as the real estate industry, don't want that to happen, even though the flip side, that's exactly what should be happening. And it is like, you do have municipalities organizing specifically around that. Um, and it does create the structure with home rule petitions where the ones that end up being easiest to pass are the ones that have like a very narrow single municipal interest behind them, whether it's, let's say, a nomenclature change in a municipality, like when municipalities have been kind of recognizing that we shouldn't be using terms like board, and, board of aldermen or not everybody uh, might might be male to change to change those names or sometimes small governance, small governance changes. The le- there's nobody's opposed in the legislature. It sails through in kind of very pro forma basis. But when suddenly it could mean something, something positive spilling over, and even the fact that the people with invested interests live in somebody else's district, and the way that that helps kind of create the legislative inertia that ends up leading for so many of these to not move forward. I have to bring up something because because you just mentioned something that I actually... Like people don't realize, I remember a couple of years ago looking at like what the state voted on today. And it was like, they voted to approve that the city of Worcester could spend $34,000 to hire a dog catcher. And I was like, I was like, what? I was like, what are our state legislators, such legislators 
spending their time doing? Like, why are all mm-hmm. these things? And you mentioned one that's like frivolous, right? Changing the name of the, you know, why can't they change the name Board of Aldermen without the state? How on earth can we expect our state legislators to be doing all of those things, making votes on all of those things when they don't live there, right? And it has nothing to do with their town. And, and why are they spending their time doing it? Sorry, a little bit of a rant. No, it, 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 oh, just quickly on that point. It is, it, it's a generally absurd thing when you when you realize how much that stuff does bog up, kind of gum up le- legislative works. I mean, if you look at how many of the vote, how many of the the bills that actually become law and they end up because that they pass are home rule petitions, they're sick leave banks for state employees that they have to pass, they're land conveyances, and so much like so much of these things that are so minor and that, that they have to do so much process for. Yeah, just to just for regular folks to understand. So if the legislature didn't have all these home rule petitions to pass, like if it just did regular business, it would pass four, sometimes five bills a year, right? It's just not passing other things. It's the majority of the things it's doing are these sorts of things. And like their own version of this, which is sick leave for their own employees or Mm -hmm. like a day official Massachusetts day, right? If you like wipe out some of these just nonsense things, I don't want to say nonsense for the individuals who need them, right? Like I'm glad that they're providing these care for people. But if you, you know, these things that are not, that don't require even most of the legislatures to show up to do it. um, If you swipe out these things, they're passing next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ever look at a catalog of it, it's really ridiculous how little they actually do in passing legislation, how much time these things take up. I, I just want to give another flavor of what they're passing around these things. So most of the time, these things are just literally like they affect one person. Like I wanted to 100, 200 people need to vote on something that affects a person, right? Like a person, one or employee. Or I mean, what? I mean, yeah, people people. who actually show up. Right. But, you know, but it's in right. Oh, you're saying the actual effects of people, the sick banks. But a lot of the things, it's like one person. Right. Or even if it's like an an alcohol license, it's that business. Right. Like it's just it's like not it's just a lot of work for these one things. But then if you get policies that have the ability to to affect people's lives in a positive way, all of a sudden, it's like the legislature doesn't even know it has this power. It's not just that Somerville's um, home rule petitions are sort of coming and getting discussed and the merits are, they disappear into the legislature's crap, like just nothing happens, right? Like it's, they're not giving some, they're not asking Ben to come testify. They're not asking his opinion on it. They're not debating whether or not this is a good policy for the people of Somerville, right? Because that's what you imagine. Oh, well, they've discussed it and decided like, this isn't the way to tackle this issue. They're not discussing it. They just flat out pretend like these things don't exist. So if there is, that's what's I think so maddening about this process is just people who are seriously, who are serious about fixing their towns and cities, people who are serious about pushing policies that can make people's lives better at those literal things. They go to the trouble of legislating on those things and literally nothing happens. <laughs> nothing, absolutely nothing happens. It goes into the legislature and nothing happens. There's no vote. There's no, hearing. there's no, um, you know, there's no, uh, there's no hearing. There's no discussion. There's no anything. It just disappears. Let me think ben. about that. I ben, think it's so important to, to, 
Yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> what, what Jordan said really touched a nerve because what, what's so frustrating about some of these policies is that members of the public don't know who is responsible for holding them up. And therefore there is no opportunity to affect change. <laughs> so, you know, my constituents, they know where I stand on these issues. They've seen me vote on them repeatedly over the years. And if they disagree with me, someone could run against me. And if they win, that would send a message, right? Um, when it comes to our, for example, real estate transfer fee, or I'll just give another example. Somerville recently passed a home rule petition to allow um, immigrants to vote in our local elections. This is something broadly supported. It was a unanimous vote supported by our mayor. We would love to do it. Um, we don't know who is uh, keeping that from getting to a vote. We don't know who would vote for it or against it. And there's no way to apply political pressure in a situation like that. And I think when people describe things as a structural issue, this is a perfect example of that, where the structure is set up to make it almost impossible to pass things where several hundred legislatures from legislators from across the state would have to stick their necks out on an issue that uh, would benefit working class people in Somerville. Um, but but kind of th there's no upside in it for all these legislators to go out on a limb and support it. Um, the structure is set up to make it extraordinarily hard to make this kind of change. Yep. A moment to let that sink in. <laughs> I do think, though, sorry, it's important. I, I don't want to leave it on a purely pessimistic note. Like part of what we all have to do is think about building those statewide movements and coalitions mm -hmm. to to affect this change. Um, you know, it, I think I, I do want to say it's very easy politically for local officials to say, well, we can't do that. It's a you know, it's impossible. The state will never approve it. And that may or may not be true. In often cases, it is true. And you want to be transparent with your constituents. But you don't stop there. I think that one of the reasons it is important to pass these home rule petitions and and to testify on statewide legislation that might be considered a long shot is to continue to activate people across the state um, who might be able to reach out to their state legislator and say, uh, hey, I just heard about this thing that Nantucket is doing, that Somerville is doing, that Cambridge is doing. Is that something that we could do here? And to build that movement. And it's not going to happen overnight. But if we don't do it together, it's never going to happen. And I'm going to mention one thing that we talked about in a previous podcast, but I think it is worthy of repeating that it's not just long shot policies that we need our city councilors and our other elected officials to vote for. It is even things that that may not be legal. So when I was um, on a commission in Berkeley and we were trying to pass campaign finance reform laws, somebody said, well, we shouldn't pass this because it looks like from, you know, the state of Arizona that the you know, Supreme Court of the state of Arizona said that that's, you know, unconstitutional because the Supreme Court has already decided that, you know, money is speech and corporations are people, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, somebody spoke up and I was so happy to hear this. And it really transformed my thinking about politics. He said, it is not our job to support the Supreme Court's terrible decisions. We need to pass policies, even if we know that they're going to be turned down by the courts, because that is how we can move forward on these issues. Whew, with that, um, any final words, um, Jonathan? On the idea of trying things, even though difficult, it just reminds me of the line about how you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. <laughs> kind of like I'm kind of like you lose that like you'll lose like you're you're winning zero percent of the battles you don't even fight. 
So if you're going to have have at least a chance of even moving the ball forward and creating the conditions where somebody in the future could win win the fight, it needs to start at some point. And I am so, let me just say, I had a little moment of gratitude to be here with all three of you because we are all those people who like, we're going to lose and we're going to keep fighting and then we're going to lose and then we're going to keep fighting and then we're going to win a little bit and then get beat up again and we're going to keep fighting. So thank you all. It is a pleasure and an honor. Ben, thank you so much for being here and for all yeah. the work that you do in Somerville. Ben, thanks for being such a yeah. shining light on as a legislator. I really, we really appreciate the work you do. Oh, thank you all. And let me, I want my last words. This is a secret (laughs) for the public. Uh, City councilors and legislators, we are all copycats of one another. And I think that one of the things that is kind of scary is that if a good policy passes, people start copying it. Um, I'll just take, for example, in Mm. Somerville, we passed a ban on facial recognition technology used by the government. Mm. And within several months, cities across the state had done it and there was momentum to pass a state law. So I think uh, it can seem like a small victory at first to do stuff at the local level, um, but these ideas spread and they can spread very quickly when the time is right. Fantastic. Wonderful. Thank you, everybody. Thanks to all our listeners and we'll see you next week.